Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. Praise the Lord. Well, man, I enjoy worshiping with you guys. Thank you so much for just that joy. I I wanted to start off with a video like that because, honestly, I think church is awesome. And I think the church is awesome. I've given my life to it. I think it's incredibly important. And oftentimes when I look out into our culture and I think about what we've been called to, I think there's a tremendous misunderstanding. And I think that it's possible that most Christians underestimate what God intends the church to be. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that. And I'm really praying that God over the next few weeks will sort of expand our understanding of what he believes his church is supposed to be and what he desires it to be as he explains it in his word. And we're going to break down four metaphors that really stand out in scripture of what the church actually is. And my hope is that through this process, we all sort of understand the value of it and understand how much we have the opportunity to invest in it. We get to go all in with it. And we have the opportunity to take this to the culture that so desperately needs it and so desperately underestimates it. And so I believe it has never been more important for our church as we're right here on the precipice of, of jumping off. In fact, we kind of just did. You know, we just jumped off the, the cliff here into sort of the hands of God saying, I hope you're going to catch us because here we come. And we're just diving off the diving board, so to speak, as a church. And this has never been more important for us to really understand what it is that God desires his church to be. And it's, it's fine if we all imagine what we think a great church is, but it's far better to look at scripture and understand what the church is from God's perspective and then grow into that. And so uh, we're really gonna break these things down. And, and so I, I kind of started with this whole question, why church? Why, why should we even do church? Why does it really matter? And I think out in our culture, if you look, uh, the way things have moved lately, there is a tremendous distrust for pretty much any institution, any sort of major situation like this. And you look at an organization or institution, culture now has become a lot less trusting of those things. And what that means for us as Christians when we walk into uh, church is that sometimes we have this slowness to want to actually belong to a church. We're, we're fine with attending a church. Going to church is one thing. Belonging to a church seems like a whole different level of understanding. As we have people who attend church under our culture, but belonging to one, sometimes there's, a, there's this tendency to sort of be skeptical and step back from. You know, I, what I understand this is that God's picture of the church is actually beautiful. God desires us to grow into this unity together. And he wants to sanctify us, set us apart and make us holy. And the vehicle that he's chosen has been the community of his church, those set apart for him. And and here's the thing. As we sort of look at the church and maybe in our culture, there's this distrust for it. What we have to understand is that we as the church understand that we didn't invent this thing. (laughs) We didn't invent this organization or set up this organization. And it's not for us to evaluate whether it's important or not. God is the one who established this and set it up. And God is the one who's going to finish what he started. He himself is building his church. It's not our church. He is building his church. 
whether we trust it or not, he's going to build it and we're part of it and we are the church. And so it's really important that you get that. And, and for us, it's, it's nice to know that while church is messy and while we can look at the organization and we can say, wow, this should be better, that should be better. We can look back in history and say, that should have been better, that should have been different. But when we look at it, what we understand is that Jesus Christ himself said he would build his church. We are that church. He will grow it. And just because it's messy doesn't mean we don't need it anymore. It's always going to be messy. In fact, it always has been messy. If you'd like to flip over, don't do it now. But if you want to go over to 1 Corinthians and read about the messy early church, we sometimes idealize the early church and say there were no problems back then. Look how they did. No, that's not how it worked at all. Half of the New Testament was written because there were churches messy. And Paul was writing and saying, you guys have got yourself in another mess. Here's how to fix it. There's this crazy thing you're believing in and we need to fix it. There's this thing that's a sin that's happening in your life. You need to change it. You're not setting apart yourself to be holy. There's problems here. There's heresy here. There's always like, church has always been messy. And I just want to say this, like if you found a messy church like ours, you found, well, welcome. You know, that's all we can say. The church is messy. And so all throughout history, the messiness of the church has never been an excuse for us to abandon it. It's always been the call to it. And, and so when we look at the importance of church in the next several weeks as we look at this, I'm really praying that, that God will raise the bar. See, the church for us is not to be just a place that we come and evaluate, to really experience what God has for us, the sanctifying work in the church. He's setting us apart, and we'll talk about this in a minute. He sets us apart to the church so that we get in community. The church is a place that you come where you are known and where you know, like you, there's a connection where I know what's going on in your life. You know what's going on in my life. Not every person, but there are people who do understand. It's a place where we've let our, our guard down a little bit, invited people into our lives so we can walk together. There's this attendance kind of sort of spectator mentality that's crept into the church where we all want to come sit in rows and evaluate the show. And, and like... I can see some of you guys kind of reaching for the remote, you know, where you change the channel sometimes. And I'm like, I need to move points, you know, but and they're like, oh, I don't. But we come and we sort of want to spectate. And what I want this to be over the next few weeks as we look at this is I really want us to get into our hearts. The church is not a thing for us to spectate and watch. It's a place where we belong. It's who we are. God is building us. We are the church. We don't get to stand outside it, look at it, and cast judgment. You are it as the body of Christ. And it is messy. And I want you to say that while it's not okay in certain ways that it's sinful, but we understand that God is sanctifying people. And as long as people keep getting saved, there's going to keep being messes. And you just have to understand that this whole pristine, perfect church that maybe we've all imagined, it's never existed. Uh, it will one day exist when Christ establishes his throne and his kingdom and he glorifies all of us and gives us, uh, makes us fully the, the image of himself. God is working in that in his true church, but we have to understand that it's not for us to evaluate on the outside looking in. We got to stop just going and attending and spectating church. It's time for us to understand that we belong in the church. And in doing that, we have to do some things that are uncomfortable. Listen, we come to the church and traditionally we've received, you know, hey, we want to hear a, a, a message from the word of God that helps us. We want it to apply to our life. We want to uh, be able to worship. We want... We want there to be baptism. We want to receive the, uh, the ordinances of, of communion. And that should be a place where we can go and receive good truth and all those things. But be, belonging to a church means that we also receive the things that are difficult in Scripture from the church. 
the Bible has mandated and demanded that the church apply discipline to its members, to those who are submitted to it. It's not something that we can step back from and say, that's messy. We don't want to be a part of that. We have to. We have no choice. We're accountable to God on how we handle those kind of things. This is the deal. And we're going to break down these, these things where we are the building of the church today. We're going to look at the body of Christ. We're going to look at the bride of Christ. We're going to look at the family of God. These are the metaphors that God gives us. And each one of these brings out an angle on this whole picture. And I pray that as we do that, you get to be, be uh, are able to see what God desires. But we have to receive what's good and even the things that are uncomfortable from the church when you belong to it. You receive those things as well, and God, God desires that for us. Long intro here because I'm trying to set up where we're going the next few weeks, but as we ask this question, why church? I think it's become very important that we define what the church is before we get to our scripture, which is going to be in First Peter, and so if you want to go ahead and flip there, we'll be there in just a second, but if we want to establish what the actual church is, uh, I, want to, I want to define it this way because I believe this. Once we understand God's plan for the church and accept our identity as the church of the living God and understand its mission, our life together will be radically changed. I really believe that. Our life together will be radically changed. And so uh, to finish this definition before we get to our scripture, what, what is the church? I think it's important to say what it's not. And some misconceptions that are there maybe are more helpful than the actual definitions for some of us. First off, you need to know that the church is not a, a man-made organization, and it's not unnecessary. I kind of hit this a moment ago. You know, a lot of times, I think the world looks at the church and says, well, you know what? They have bake clubs. People who like to bake make clubs. People who like to quilt have clubs. People who like to play baseball, so they form clubs. And so I guess that's what the religious people did. They formed a club, and they had all this kind of thing. Listen, it's just not a, a man-made club or organization that has been put together because we all just have something in common. The church is way bigger than that, way bigger than that. God has established it. It's not an organization that functions like a club for religious people. And, you know, I understand that people sometimes look at and don't want to trust those kind of things. But the reality is that God has made this thing. And here's the other misconception. The, the church is not just a building. It's not a building at all, actually, in a certain sense. Not certainly one made out of metal and steel. <laughs> whatever this place is made of. It's not, it's not a building, you know, and, and there's been a, a sort of corporateness that's happened to the church where we sort of misunderstand, where we, we call it the three Bs, and forgive me, uh, because this just only works if you do this. This is butts, budgets, and buildings, and that's how people think, uh, a lot of people, about the church. And, and when you get, if you're in a church like that, that's kind of obsessed with those three things, it's kind of frustrating because you see the whole obsession with those three Bs, and it's like, wow, the church has got to be more than this. It's got to actually be a living thing, right? The, the church is a living organism. It's actually not a building. It's actually people with Christ in them. We'll get there. It's also not a good show on Sunday. It's not the place you take your kids to keep them out of trouble. It's not, I mean, it can be a lot of these things. It's not the place that you go to get a little side of religion to keep yourself balanced. Listen, the church is way bigger than we've imagined it. If your idea has, of the church has underestimated its value, then I think what we have to understand is that when we get a proper, we get a proper picture of the church, it changes who we are and how we live in them. Because if we reject God's church, I want you to get this. If we reject God's church or consider it a side issue that's un invaluable, we're missing out on the very thing God has died to provide us. God has established us 
as the saints, as believers. He has rescued us to give us this, this community that we're moving into. It is a precursor to the, the full-on deal in heaven. If you reject the church, you're rejecting God's greatest blessing to us, that he's redeemed us and brought us into fellowship with one another. So we condemn it and undervalue it. We're missing out on one of the incredible blessings that God's given us. And in a certain sense, you're actually, actually rejecting Jesus, who is the head, which we'll get to that in a little bit. The, the word church comes from this Greek word, ekklesia. And I don't, I don't I want to show off like Greek words because, gosh, I've learned and forgotten so much. But the bottom line is it's cool to know that because what it means, the, the actual etymology goes back and says it's to be called, it's a called out assembly. Then when, when you see church, is a called out assembly. And in the New Testament context, we see that you're also called into fellowship with God. You're not called out into nothing. You're called out into, <laughs> you can say that, into fellowship with God, which is vertical. And also he has given us this tremendous blessing as fellowship with one another, which is horizontal. That's his picture of the church. And there's this other fancy word, that quinonia, which we sometimes say. Which the reason why we kind of like that word is because it implies more than just, it implies this loving fellowship. But there's something special about that word where it's intimate, it's godly, it's biblical, it's redemptive, it's restorative. This koinonia fellowship that God desires for us. This, this intimacy with God and with one another that he has designed for our church that scripture clearly lays out. We are the called out ones and we are called into uh, him. And we totally get this because if I could stop for a second. Catch this. God himself said he's made us in our own image. God, who is Trinity, three in one, he is community. Yes. And he has called us into him. And he's called us into the community of one another. Do you see this? Listen, I, I hate to break the news to you. If you're trying to do church or religion or Christianity alone, you're missing out. That is not what God intended you're only going to be able to experience so much of God because God is community. He's invited us into community, and there's only so much God you're going to be able to understand solo. And so God has called us into that kind of fellowship because he desires it for us. It's important to us that we submit to it. So let's, let's get to our scripture. In 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, we're, going to, we're going to start off in verse 13. I'm going to give this a, as a, a bit of a context for you and see this. So our definition of the church is sort of, those who the Lord has called out of the world and into union and fellowship with Christ and into communion uh, with each other. And to, to set up our passage here, I'll refer back to something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16. He said, I will build my church. I will build my church. And it's actually funny. Uh, he says this to a guy named Peter, uh, whose name really means rock. <laughs> And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And while there's debate or whether he was talking about Peter or the, the declaration that Peter made, that Christ is the son of the living God, uh, we know that, that God himself, Jesus, is the foundation. He is the rock that the, the church is built on. Isn't this beautiful? And he has set himself up as the chief cornerstone. We'll see that. He is the rock and he's building his church. And so as we go through these metaphors, the first one we're going to get to is that we are the building. We are the building and I want you to see this beautiful picture here. So to set this up in First Peter, uh, first look in chapter 1, verse 13. Now, I'm going to kind of read quickly through this because I want you to just get, let the, the context of this kind of wash over you. Just listen. We'll, we'll break this out. But I want you to see the context that uh, Peter 
who is called Rock is sort of using this example uh, of living stones in this built church uh, that's actually there, but we'll get there in just a second. But 1 Peter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, he's writing to the church, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy. That means set apart. For I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. See what he's done for his church? He's ransomed them in. Not with perishable things such as with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God. This is the church who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. These are defining characteristics. There's this set apart, this being holy, this dependence on the, the shed blood of Jesus Christ who has risen from the dead and is offering us this hope in the living God. And so in verse 22, it says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, this is the horizontal part, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. You begin to see this vertical picture that, that, that God has called us into this, this intimacy with him and this interdependence on one another. Do you see this? There's a vertical picture and a horizontal picture all established through Christ who is the, the savior who's rescued us and brought us into that fellowship. So with that context, let me read this. It continues on in chapter two. I know it's a lot of scripture, but this will help you. Uh, verse one, it says, so, I love this, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Anybody tasted that the Lord is good? Isn't he awesome? <laughs> so good, right? He has rescued us. It's beautiful. And so he's saying like, Desire me, desire more of this if you've tasted and seen. So listen, this is beautiful. I want to lock in here in verse four. Catch this. He says, as you come to him, speaking, we've been called out. And as we are called into, we're coming to him. This is what it says. A living stone rejected by men. Who are we talking about here? Who's the living stone? It's Jesus. We know that, right? Okay, so he is the living stone. He has been rejected by men, but in the sight of God, Chosen and precious, this is cool, and you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Told you, you are the building, we are the building, and it seems kind of like a boring metaphor, but it's not. Look at this, it's incredible. He says, you are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Wow, we could, I seriously could preach on this verse for many weeks because it's so incredible to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ it's beautiful for it stands in scripture behold I am laying in Zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious 
And whoever believes in him, Jesus, will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they are destined to do. But, this is beautiful, you've been called out. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. I mean, if you were in a bad mood this morning, does this not cheer you up? This is what God said. This is your job description that he has given you. It's incredible. You're a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for his own possession. This is incredible. He says that you may proclaim, seems like it would just rush out of us, right? But he says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Praise the Lord. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And this is important too. We're gonna break all this down. Beloved, I love that. We could just stop right there, couldn't we? We are, we are the church and we are loved by God. We'll get more on that when we talk about the bride. It says, I urge you as sojourners, which that really sort of means resident aliens, if you can give me that. There were aliens, there were strangers, there were foreigners in a country that, that were committed to it, that stayed, that were, were still there, that were trying to make even the place that they were successful. They were invested in their communities. These were sojourners. They were permanent residents, but they were not of that place. They were aliens. He says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among, among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Wow, that's a lot of, of scripture and there's a lot of truth and we could spend a month breaking all that down. But what I want you to gather out of this and hopefully you'll study more into this personally, but I want you to gather out of this is this. That the church is established by God through Jesus. And what he accomplished on the cross, his death, his resurrection. And by faith we enter into it as his children. He has restored us, ransomed us, set us out of the kingdom of darkness. Brought us into the kingdom. There's marvelous light. We've been rescued. We've been forgiven. We've been given a new job description. He actually likes you. He loves you. He wants you. He's made you a kingdom of priests. A priesthood, a chosen nation, he set you apart that you would look back at him and proclaim his excellency. That seems pretty easy, right? I mean, y'all are so natural at this. Y'all did it this morning where you're just like, wow. <laughs> I love that about you guys. Y'all just look at God and just are in awe of him and worship him with thankfulness and gratitude in your hearts toward our God who has rescued us. That's the deal. That's his church. And he explains it like this, that we are living stones. If you look in chapter two, verse five, it says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. And I, I wanna look at that. So again, this is not a man-made club. This is God who is actually building this. And he's using, he's like, you guys are like building materials. <laughs> he's like, I, I want to place you like a stone and I want to build you slowly over time. I'm building my church just like a, a building. Like he, he's placing each stone next to one another. And you know, this is where I think that you understand. You can't be a spectator to this. God has put you in it. He said you're like a living stone. You become part of it. Church is not something that you attend. It's something you belong to. And it's not just this particular local church, although this is 
this is something that should be represented in each local church. There should be this commitment, this, long, this belonging that's there. And it's what we want to model while we're here. But we understand that God has placed us into this fellowship himself. And he has put us into his church as a, a living stone creating this building that exists for his glory. And he himself has placed himself as the cornerstone where everything else is built around, all the angles and all the weights are distributed properly because the cornerstone is where it's supposed to be, which is why we say in our values, we point to Jesus. Everything we do points back to the cornerstone. He's the foundation. He's how we set this whole thing up. If he's not where he's supposed to be, that's why we elevate, elevate, elevate Jesus. We lift him up as high as we possibly can because he is the cornerstone. He is the head of the church. We are the body. We'll get into that. As we do that, though, he builds us together as his body, like stones into this beautiful structure. Isn't this incredible? And he, he puts us in it. And I love this because when you look at a building, if you pull out any particular stone, you, you, you're going to cause some problems, right? You pull out enough of them, you're going to cause some serious problems. There's this, God has called us into relationship with himself, but he's also called us to this interdependency with one another. And when God sort of cements you down in a spot in his church, you become interconnected and interdependent with the church. And so when there's, when there's something that affects one stone, it affects the one next to it, and the one next to it, and the one next to it. And it's all accomplishing the same thing together. You see, in the church, let's apply this in a practical way. When we come to church, we're not coming just to look at you know, a building. We're not coming to evaluate a service. We're coming because this is where we belong. There's, there's a belonging here. There's a, there's a, I'm interconnected with you in a very real way, which is why we push small groups so much. Is because it's not enough for us. It's, it, is, it is important for us to do this corporately. That's why it blesses us so much when we come together and worship. But it's not enough that we sit in rows. It, it's, it's required for us as the body of Christ to be interconnected not only with Christ, but with one another. He desires that kind of interdependency with each other, which is why we have Sunday school, which is why we have small groups. It's why we encourage those, even as great as small groups as Sunday school are, we pray that those are springboards to even closer relationships and mentoring relationships where we begin apprenticing with one another as young men learn how to follow Christ with men that are a bit older than them. And it just it continues on. We believe in intergenerational discipleship because we believe we are interdependent on one another because the way that Christ is building us as a church like living stones stacking us together. That's why we do that. It means we depend on each other in every way. You see this model by the, the early church where they were dependent. They shared decisions. They shared resources. They shared wisdom. They even shared their money. They shared uh, their lives together. They walked together. They shared their food. Like this is what happens. And I think for us to understand the importance of this is crucial. So many times people are happy to listen to a podcast or listen to a, a, a message on YouTube. Listen, those are great. Study the word of God. Dig into all that stuff. But it is not a replacement for being interdependent with the church that God intended for you to have. God is community. He desires for us to live into it. And we should absolutely be submitted to it, be involved in it, belonging in it in a very real way. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote a, a book uh, called The Four Loves, and he had a section that's very famous on friendship because it explains something about how we are interdependent on one another and how we actually can learn more about God as we uh, grow in friendship and how we actually grow to see more of him and more of one another. It says this, he wrote this, he's a brilliant man. If you've never read any C.S. Lewis, you should. It says, in each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can fully bring out. 
by myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. And his friend uh, named Charles had passed away. He's, he's realizing that when one friend died, it affected his friend group in a powerful way, or it really wasn't the same. In a certain sense, when Charles died, a piece of that whole friend group died. A little piece of each of those people died with them because there were certain parts of them that could only be brought out by Charles. Here's what he says. He says, now that Charles is dead, I shall never see Ronald's, sexually speaking of Tolkien, reaction to a specifically Charles' joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, I got more of him now, right? You'd think that, more time with him. He says, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the very multitude of the blessed, which no man can number, increases the fruition with each of us has of God. So we see more of God as we grow closer together. It says, for every soul, seeing him in her own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That says the, an old author is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are crying, holy, holy, holy to one another. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. Isn't that beautiful? He's saying as we see who the Holy Spirit is making you, it shines light on a facet of God that I would not have seen if you hadn't been in my life. When I confess my sin to a brother in Christ, and he looks at me and he says, God has forgiven you, and I forgive you. I experience redemption and forgiveness and cleansing from God, both in a spiritual sense and that God forgives me, and ultimately he's the one that has to, but because I've sinned against the body, to receive that from the body in a tangible way. I experienced that in a way I couldn't if I were by myself. Am I making sense? I hope that you see this. God has desired us to walk closely together. So we are, we are the building, and we've been built together. So to, to circle back to these two things, we're called out and we're called to. Let me explain these and we'll be done. It says, we are called out. And in this, you see this crazy relationship that the church has with the world. And this is so important for us to get. We, we're talking a lot right now about how we want to love our community, how we want to bless our community, how we want to be a part of it. And this sheds some light on this, this difficult relationship that the church has with the world around it. So we're called, he says, sojourners and exiles. And he talks about us being set apart as holy. We're called out of the world, all right? And in that, we are called out of it, and so we still live in it. And so there's this tension between us and the world. And the church traditionally and has struggled with this, where we've fallen on two ends of the, the, the I guess, the perspective here of where we need to be. Where if you look at sort of a sectarian view, if you will, I know it's kind of a, where you're basically saying we want to isolate ourselves and separate ourselves and sort of hide from the world uh, type mentality and make it very difficult for people to be a part of this, you know. And then there's this other one, like the chaplaincy models, what the sociologists kind of look at it. And they say it's almost like just chaplains out blending in with the world so much uh, that you almost lose sight of, of where they are. You see... And both of these approaches where we either set ourselves apart completely and have, have just reject our culture or we would try and actually model and, and be just like our culture, either one of these things is motivi motivated by the same thing. If you want to have power and influence in a culture, then all you got to do is emulate it, be just like it, and then all of a sudden people are happy to listen to you, right? Or it's actually a pretty, pretty bold power move to say, 
we are the only ones that, uh, that matter. Everyone else is an enemy. And all of a sudden that feels empowering to the people sitting, you know, and listening to that. And they're like, yeah, we're, you know, all these other people, they're the enemy. And, and either way, it's, you can sort of isolate yourself and push back against the suffering that's in the world and just say, we're okay. And either we're isolated or, or we're blending in to get that affirmation. And both of those things, uh, listen, we, I, I want to break some difficult news for you. The church will never God's church will never fit in in our culture. That's right. It's not going to. God said that you will be rejected by men, just like He was. So, if if your goal for the church is we should change, so we can a church, so the world will suddenly love us. Listen, I, I the world is never going to affirm the church one hundred percent. They may affirm some of the things that we do, but there'll always be a tension. There'll always be a tension between the true biblical church and the world. Is, is rejecting him. Does that make sense? And everybody can be excited about doing good things, but all of a sudden when we say Jesus is Lord, it starts getting kind of exclusive and difficult. There's this tension, right? There's this tension that the church has to live in with the world. Now the early Christians dealt with this too. I mean, they honestly were tremendously misunderstood. Uh, the early Christians, they were honestly thought, they, people thought they were crazy because they wouldn't go to the, see the gladiators kill themselves. <laughs> they, wouldn't, they weren't interested in the bloodthirsty kind of deal. They, they didn't want to be a part of the military because they saw that it was conquest and they didn't want to just go dominate other cultures. They, they wouldn't fight. They didn't believe in infanticide back in the pagans. believe you just put your child out if they were crippled or something's wrong with them. Just put them out and... They could die of exposure. They were against that. They actually, it's contrary to popular belief, they actually empowered women into leadership in the church. The women were highly valued in the church. You go and look in the church, they were radically for the poor, right? they They were for the poor. They weren't just trying to set themselves apart. There was mixed races and classes all together. You got Lydia and a demon possessed girl all coming to the same house. To just enjoy life together. You've also got slaves and, and even a jailer, you know, right there. I mean, it's all happening there and, and it's just beautiful. You see that God's work in his church are like that. Now, when you see all those things, you see that some of those values are waived by a lot of different people. And if you think the church is going to be accepted 100% either way, if you look at the political parties, the highest values and all that, you could split down the middle and say, well, this group's more for that, this group's more for that. Listen, even in politics, we as the church live in this tension. Can I just say this? To God, more important than your party affiliation, you are a Christian. You are Christ. You belong to him. And so when God says, I want, you to, I want you to set apart and behold, listen, this is tough for us, but it's just reality. There's... We should care about the poor. That's what we're about as a church. We should also stand up against uh, the destruction of the unborn. We should, we should be all about equality. As Jesus sure was. We should all be about justice. We absolutely should step in and be involved in all these kind of things. Listen, as a Christian, you have been put in a very precarious situation. You don't belong here. This isn't your home. You're a sojourner. You're in exile. You're not home yet. You're here. You're going to live here. You belong, in a certain sense, to this culture. You, this is where your residence is. Like a sojourner, you're committed to this community. That's so what we are here for, Gilmer. We love Gilmer. We're here to serve and bless our community that God has called us to, but we are not of it. We are of God. We are his chosen people set apart by him, a holy priesthood, a, a nation. We are sojourners in this land. Yeah, are you following me on this? 
And this tension that we live in as the church is difficult, and I can't resolve all of it because God is the one who set it up. We're called out, and that's a challenging thing. We're also called to, I'm going to speed up here because I think you get this. We're called to fellowship with God, which is vertical, called to fellowship with one another, and you saw that in the scripture. See, I really genuinely believe that God wants this. He says that in 1 Peter 1, 22, just backing up, it says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly. He's like, not just casually, earnestly. There's a difference. You all, you all know what that is. There's a difference between casually loving someone and earnestly loving someone. There is a, it is a challenge to love earnestly. But God desires that from a pure heart. Since you've been born again through the living and abiding word of God. Listen, as we kind of wrap up, as we got more to go in the next several weeks, as we look at the church, what we're seeing is that God has set us up as a building. He's put us up like living stones. So we're, we're, we're built for the glory of God on the foundation of Jesus. He is our cornerstone. He's built this church that actually is his. It's not for us to look at and evaluate. God has actually built this thing and you are it. He has built you. You are the church. You are the church. So we can stop looking at it and evaluating it and belong. And there's something that happens in us when we get that. I don't know. I mean, maybe you may have thought our church is like a valuable activity for your kids or, or whatever. I don't know. There's different perspectives. You may have participated in some church stuff over the years. You may have thought it was a, a nice addition to your weekly schedule. And at times, there may have been moments where you've really liked the church or a church. But I just want to ask you, have you ever really let yourself belong? Because that's when you begin to understand the gift that God has given us in the body of Christ, the church. Listen, the next three weeks, we're gonna, we're gonna look at that, how we think, and we're gonna see why it's so important that we fight here, why we love one another, why we grow together. Paul also wrote in 1 Timothy, he said this, he says, I have written so that you will know how people ought to act in God's household. This is what he's building, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. See, God cares about his church. He cares about you. And God's church has been given authority and responsibility to be ambassadors for him, taking this truth, hope, healing, salvation to the world around us. And that's what we desire to be. We're his body, we're his bride, we're his building, we're his family. Listen, it is time for us and our families to stop going to church and start belonging to church, to God's church. And so here's what I mean by that. It's time to join a small group. If you're not in a small group, we want you to be a part of a small group. This is where you get to love earnestly and begin to intertwine your life, become interdependent on other people in your life. We want you to try Sunday school. If you've never been to Sunday school, come. Sit in a circle for once, not just rows. And I promise you, you'll begin over time. Listen, none of this happens in a week, by the way. This says, I'm coming to belong. I'm not coming here to evaluate. I'm just coming here because this is where I belong. God's put me here. I'm here. Whether, whether I like everything about what happened or not, I belong here because it's not about whether I like what's happening. It's about this is, this is me. This is who I am. This is where I am. I belong here. And so I'm gonna, if, if I don't like it, I'm going to become part of the solution or I'm going to submit uh, to God's direction. And whatever it is, I'm belonging here. This is what's going to happen in my life. So when you go to your small group and you say, wow, I wish my small group was more like this, then I'll say to you, hey, make it that way. Go, be that, love people. No, my people are faking it. You know, nobody's being honest with each other. Hey, model transparency. You know, belong, don't evaluate. Do you see the difference? Get involved and maybe it's time to invite somebody to have breakfast or dinner with you. I love this. Mike's done an awesome job at our men's thing just saying, hey, we need, to, we need to engage with one another. It's not just church programming. Like, love each other earnestly. Invite each other to dinner. Go to have lunch together. Go have breakfast together. Spend time. It's time to maybe open up 
and let some people in in your life. And I know that that's hard because you have to be vulnerable when you do that. And somebody's going to know your business if you do that. But can I tell you something? There are facets to God that you will never see until you stop attending and start belonging. And that will only happen when you become transparent and open up. You don't have to come up to this mic and tell the whole church. That's why our small groups are here. That's why individual relationships inside of small groups exist. Because that's what we desire for each of you. Pursue real connections. Stop evaluating. Listen, it is time for us and our families to stop going to church and start belonging to church. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time. us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. There you'll find information on how to contact us if you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.